0: performance on demand podcast number 44 e- 5
1: 4 three, two, one.
0: Welcome to Performance On Demand Podcast with Craig and Jeremy, where you will learn all things endurance sports, from training and nutrition to mental strength. Everything you need and want to know in one place. Welcome everyone to Performance On Demand Podcast. I am your host, Craig Willard, along with Sir Jeremy Brown. What's up, buddy? Sir. I got a title, <laughs> surgery. I think I get a different title every every, every day. podcast. Every, I, get, I get a different title. I got to keep. We just got to keep it inconsistent because that yeah. keeps you uncomfortable. So there you keep go. It fresh. What's keep going fresh. on, man? That, what's up? That's how
2: you keep a relationship going, right, Greg? Absolutely,
0: just, uh, <laughs> keep absolutely. It
2: fresh. So what's no, everything's good, man. Everything's good. It's been uh, it's been a great day. I'm super pumped. We've been waiting for. Well, I guess about a month now for uh, for this interview. So this is big. The time yeah. the time has arrived. We're pretty excited.
0: Yeah. So why don't we just go ahead and jump on in, and uh, I'll let you introduce uh, this phenomenal man that we have uh, on this podcast. Well, let me us. let me preface it and say this: I've been lucky enough that I get to meet a lot of really cool people. and I even
2: said this before. This is the one person that I actually get nervous to talk to on this podcast. <laughs> Um, you know, if, if he only knew how nervous I was the day that I met him in person at the coaches' summit, I uh, was sweating bullets. I might as well have been in front of the principal at school uh, being asked about, you know, shooting spitballs or something. So, um, you know, this guy, he, I don't even know where to start with the introduction. Essentially, I, I consider him um, one of the very first people uh, in the sport of coaching, and I think he even talks about that at some point in time. I may dig into that a little bit, but, you know, he's an author. He's got 14, 15 books out now. He's uh, obviously coach. I don't know how much he coaches now, but you know he's, he's um, essentially a master motivator. He inspires many people. He's got so much literature out there that has shaped the sport and where it's at and, and uh, how people view training now and how much has changed. Um, you know, I, I believe he holds an elite level certification at both USAT and USAC. Um, has he could correct me if I'm wrong, but something to do with the founding of Training Peaks. And, and at the end of the day, I think that that. Joe Freel is a coach's coach, and I think he does a lot of that now. He kind of teaches coaching, essentially, and so I uh, met him at the Endurance Coaches Summit uh, the Training Peaks put on back in August and have followed his work for many, many years, my years in the sport, and, and Joe, we are so glad to have you on today and look forward to picking your brain a little bit and, uh, uh, you know, just kind of seeing seeing what's been going on with you.
1: Well, Jerry, very kind of you to, to say those things. I'm, I'm happy to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's always good. Well, conversations with other coaches.
2: When we get done, uh, before we hang up, I'll give you my address. If you want to send me that check for for pumping you <laughs> up and promoting you big <laughs> like I just did. But, uh, take some effort, Joe. I put some thought into that. So, <laughs> I'm actually super excited. Joe has a Wikipedia page. that I'm, like, that,
0: wow. I'm <laughs> telling you,
2: he's for real. This is how you made you know you made it in the world when you get a Wikipedia page, right, Craig? <laughs> well. So, <laughs> But like we said, Joe, you know we're, we're very glad to have you on. Uh, many topics we could sit and talk to you about, and and I guess fortunately and unfortunately, they've all been discussed. You know, I even saw uh, this athlete I was talking to the other day that just reposted something on the fifteenth that discussed aerobic base training, which is initially why you and I had had a conversation. I approached you with, with a couple of thoughts and theories. Um, and the, probably for me, the coolest thing is is to me, Joe's like a celebrity, right? Joe's like the guy that basically he's seen the sport come from the very first days. And I I say the sport, I really should back up and say endurance sports, running specifically. And, um, you know, I approached him not knowing what was going to happen, how it was going to be. And, and, you know, when I, when I approached him with my idea, Joe's like, you know, he's sitting there in a chair. He said, yeah, yeah, sit down, we'll chat. I'm like, holy crap. All right. Well, I wasn't prepared for a chat, but let's go, you know? And so he's got so much knowledge. Where do you even begin? So Joe, let's start with currently where you're at and what you're doing now. I think that uh, we were talking a few minutes ago. You're in you're in Scottsdale, uh, where you spend the the winters. I think you just finished up a bike ride. You actually, still see some sweat listening. Looks like probably zone three, zone four type of ride. But um, uh, you said that you had a, a book you just put out. I guess about a year ago, Fast Over 50. Tell us a little bit about that. How's it been received? And how is is that is that more of a mental side, or is it more of uh, of an exercise performance or sports performance type of side? angle within the book. I have not read it. I've yet to make
1: 50. <laughs> so. Well, good for you. Well, I, I'm way beyond 50. Uh, uh, I wrote the book uh, because I was about to turn 70. I uh, I wrote started writing it back in, uh, gosh, about two years ago now. I started writing it back at the end of 2013 uh, because I wanted to see, uh, basically, I wanted to read all the research I could read on aging because I was about to hit a very big uh, landmark age uh, turning 70, and so I I decided I was going to read everything I could find in the research on what we know about about older athletes, and the more I read, and by the way, there was a gigantic amount of information available. The research had maybe tripled since I last read aging research back in the 1990s, and so now it's like uh, it's hard. I, I spent six months just reading research. Every day I'd read research studies Finally, I started writing some blogs and finally decided that stuff I was learning should be shared with people. So I decided to write a book, which is a book you mentioned, Fast After 50. came out about a year ago. Um, it's selling very well. It's been well received by athletes. It always I get lots of emails from athletes who buy my books or read my blog or whatever. And I uh, Generally, I get people who are saying, Well, you're right on this, but you're wrong on that, and here's what I found out, and you, you need to change this to this, and therefore, you know, so I, I get lots of emails like that from athletes, which is great. They're all speaking their mind and telling me what they think, because that's just the way athletes are. They always want talk about what they've learned from personal experience, which I certainly agree is important. But interestingly enough, on this book, I've not yet received one email from anybody saying, Hey, you're wrong about this, you need to change it. All been everybody that's written me so far has been saying the same sort of thing. It's, I've been applying what you what you said, and it's working really well for me. I'm having better performances, race performances, my training is going well, and on and on and on. All the stuff that I talk about in this book, and so it's just kind of like mind blowing. But quite honestly, it's not it's not my opinions. I'm just I'm just talking about the science behind what's going on with aging, and so I wasn't expressing what I feel. Uh, although I'm, I've come to feel what I've expressed, I started out just, just essentially writing about what I was learning, and so consequently, the book is has got a lot of science in it. But I tried to write it in a way that people could understand and not make it too sciency. So and I've, hopefully, I, I've achieved that.
2: So, what I gathered from that, Joe, is it took you 15 books to finally get it right <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> you pleased everybody in your yep. 15th book. <laughs>
1: well, I'm okay. kind of aging, I think you're right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Uh, that's, I mean, that's awesome because I, I think that, um, you do have so much published literature out there and, and I, that's one thing that stuck out with me when you spoke at the, the coaches summit is that you sit down and you still read research and as a, as a coach myself, um, and, and, you know, we've got, I think it's podcasts, Craig, maybe two or three, we talk about what is a coach and that actually, I was inspired to speak on that when I came back and Craig and I started this podcast not long after the coaches summit and I was inspired to speak my opinion on what is a coach because you had said several key things, and you know one of them, essentially in a nutshell, paraphrasing was, you don't have some magic bullet. You know, as a coach, you don't have this special recipe that's unknown that nobody else knows about. You know, it's taking the same general principles, applying it in different situations, and and then at the end of the day, you're still being a mentor. And and hearing you speak on that really really motivated me to, to tell my opinion on it.
1: Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. Yeah, that that was a <laughs> that was kind of a difficult talk for me. Usually, I'm asked to, to talk about things that have to do with training or racing, mostly the science or my experience in doing various things in training. But in this case, I was asked to talk about basically my my career as a coach and how I came to become a coach and what I learned along the way and so forth. So it was kind of a, it was kind of a strange talk for me. Enjoyable. It actually kind of opened my eyes to what I was really what I really had discovered along the the way. So it's nice to hear somebody else say that uh, they got something out of it because I I got a great deal out of it myself, so I'm I'm glad to hear that you did also.
2: Oh, I I mean, absolutely. I came back. I was so fired up about it because, you know, at the end of the day, my my passion and Craig's passion lies within coaching. You know, Craig is a mental coach, so he loves to help people through the mental thing, whether it's life, whether it's endurance sports, we found we've blended it together. But at the end of the day, um, the science is the science. Right. And, you know, you do X, you're going to get Y. It's been proven for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And so it's funny because I found myself wanting to reach out to more coaches and create kind of like a network of coaches. Because at the end of the day, I think if all the coaches come together and they work together and they help grow the knowledge base and the support structure, the entire endurance sports space grows. Everybody wins. And unfortunately, you know, there's coaches out there that, that want to sit there and say, oh, no, I've got the only way, blah, 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 And I understand it's business, but you really inspired me to kind of take it a step further and and really understand that, you know, you want to get better at the science, but you're going to evolve as a coach. Things are going to change and things are going to adapt, but there's always the same core common principles in place. So that chat was very powerful for me, and I, I definitely appreciate that. And I even shared it with Craig, you know, kind of what all was said and stuff. So uh, we enjoyed it.
1: Thanks. Yeah. When I wrote, you know, just a quick comment. When I wrote my first book back in the nineties, mid nineties, the training Bibles, um, other coaches, which there weren't very many at the time, but other coaches, you really shouldn't do that. You're kind of giving away all your secrets. Um, And so people really won't need to coach, won't need to hire you as a coach anymore. But quite honestly, it was just the opposite. Uh, The more information I've given away, the more I've helped, athletes, the more I've helped other coaches, the more things I've gotten back in return for. It. It's really, it's that old saying, you know, that the more you do help other people, the more it helps you. Yes. Yes. That's what I do. I, I, my belief is there are no secrets. I'm going to share everything I know with anybody that wants to know about it. If anybody else has an interest in what I think, I'm happy to share it. It doesn't mean I'm right. It's just that that's what I think right now, actually, because I, I've changed my mind over the years on some topics. Well, <laughs> anyways, it's, there are no secrets. It's it's open for everybody, and uh, we should share everything. It's not net zero; everybody gains. Everybody gains.
2: No, and it's so awesome that you said that. I mean, I wish I could just box it up, just start handing that out to people because that's that's the same uh, belief paths or principles that Craig and I have. And um, you know, and to kind of speak to that point is, you know, when I came to you back in August and we sat down, and I said, "Here's my issue," and I, I showed you my example of Kindle and I had my little charts and. Um, you essentially said, okay, you're on the right path, but take this, this standard, you know, this workout, you know, whatever it ends up being, put it in play. And so I committed to that because, by God, Joe Frill says do it. If you tell me to go lick this wall, it'll make me faster. Joe, I'm licking this wall, right? <laughs> and so me, I always want to grow and learn it as a coach. And so I started putting that to play. And my athletes now um, – they hated me at first. I mean there were some very serious come-to-Jesus meetings when I told them, no, you're going to have to walk if your heart's in that you know, certain area, uh, if your heart is in that area. But trust me, you'll get better, so on and so forth. And in, in 10 weeks, I had one athlete go from a 1330 in that aerobic threshold down to a 920. And it was like – it was incredible. And all these other athletes started having these levels of success along the way, and that's simply because one coach – no matter how long he's been doing it, care to share his knowledge and experience, and so that I mean that that speaks testaments. And you even said at the coaches summit, send me an email. It'll take me a while to get back to you, but I'll get back to you. It's almost unheard of nowadays for someone who is as well versed and well documented as yourself. So very much appreciated. Um, I think Craig Craig had put together a question for you, um, and we tried to think of some stuff that was that was compelling, but you know hadn't already been asked probably a million times. So I'm sure you get tired of saying the same stories over and over and over and over you know just go buy my book is what i would probably say but uh craig did you want to sling your question out yeah there
0: from I, um back in like 2009 i noticed that you had there was an article about you and you made a point that the evolution started really with the olympics of 2000 with triathlons and so my question is, is as we've seen it to continuously improve and there's been you know, a lot of information coming back and forth about the growth and development but Two questions I have for you: One, where do you see this sport growing and building? And two, what do you think it's going to take to get there?
1: Yeah, well, um, I travel all over the world, speaking to coaches and athletes uh, Europe and Asia and so forth, and South Africa, and I, I've, I get to a lot of places, and, and I, I hear the same the same stories no matter where I go, and that story is that sport is still growing very rapidly here wherever here may be at the time it's still growing rapidly and and that it, it quite honestly just kind of blows me away that uh, that it's we're 16 years past the first 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 olympics for triathlon and the sport is still growing at a rapid rate so it's it's uh it's it's really fun to see that happening but your question is where is it going gosh i wish i could predict that i, I had no idea that get could be this place yeah I started doing this back in the early '80s. I thought this was just a bunch, we were just a bunch of crackpots doing this. We we all had a good time, but we never foresee it foresaw it coming becoming what it's become. You know, going to the, become an Olympic sport and world championships and all the stuff that has become a part of it. We never we never envisioned any of that. So I guess I'm I'm not really good at envisioning the future. Uh, but I can say right now that uh, the future looks very strong and very, very healthy for the sport. I'm happy to see it going the direction it's going, and I think it's going to continue for some time. But at some point, it's going to change. Um, I was also starting back in the 70s. I, I started as a marathoner, and I've seen that sport change over, gosh, 30-some years, 40 almost 40 years now. I've seen it change, and I suspect we'll eventually see the same thing happening with triathlon, but not quite to the same extent because it's a little bit different the way the two sports are, are perceived by the public. But I think we're kind of going down the same path. We're kind of like we're, where Marathon was perhaps in the, uh, let's say, the late 1980s. Booming, uh, very competitive, lots and lots of good athletes. Um, now, unfortunately, what I think has happened with Marathons is they've become parades. Uh, they become running parades, Parades. (laughs) people wearing costumes and, uh, you know, (laughs) bands and it's, 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 it's more about the social side of it than it is about the competition. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, it's just what's happened. Um, I suspect that same sort of direction is where we're headed with, with triathlon, although it's quite a long ways down the, down the road right now, still a very competitive sport no matter where you go, I don't care what distance you're seeing a race, you're going to see lots of competitive athletes. So I think that's going to continue for a long time, but I suspect we'll eventually see it begin to kind of have take on the social aspect too, but that may be 10 or 15, 20 years from now before that happens. So um, I may not ever see it. Um, it. It may not happen at all. It's just kind of what I saw happen with marathons. We're kind of like on the same path that marathons had back in the seventies and eighties.
0: Very good. With you, have Going all over the world, talking about this. Uh, Jeremy and I talk a lot about the why. What is it that's behind these triathletes? And do you see do you see a consistent method or a message that's the why that's behind? It doesn't matter if you're here, if you're in you know if you're in Asia or wherever you are. Do you see any consistencies with the, re, the with when somebody says the purpose for me doing this is this this is my why?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's primarily the. It's, it's a couple of things. One is the challenge. Uh, people are looking for challenges in their lives. They always have been, I think. But the more our society becomes uh, becomes sedentary, um, and the less work you have to do in your life to sit in front of the computer is hardly what I would call work anymore compared to what my father did yes. back in the 1930s, 40s, and into the 50s. It's not work by any means what we do now compared to what people did back then. So as we get more of a lifestyle like that, which is kind of less physical and more mental, I think people are looking for physical activities. So I I think that's a big part of it. They're just looking for a physical challenge. And certainly um, triathlon presents that that mental challenge. And the second thing, excuse me, the second thing I think is is just fun. Once you get it, once you do it, it's great fun. You have a good time, and, and having so much fun kind of keeps you coming back all the time. Uh, and that can be actually the same for every sport, but biathlon is unique because it's got a lot of a lot of variety built into it. That's part of the sport. Yes. And that makes it even more fun than simply doing running or cycling or mountain bike or swimming. It's got it's a little bit of everything, a little bit of all things, kind of rolled into one. Weight training and off season training, the skiing, perhaps or snowshoeing. So I mean, biking and running during the race is all this variety, which is fun for people. So I think it's kind of a combination of those two things. It's, it's, it's funny
2: it. Funny you said I was going to say it's it's funny you use the word fun in triathlon because I tell my athletes all the time, oh yeah, this will be fun. Yeah, this set will be fun. <laughs> and our, our our versions of fun, I think, vary. Matter fact, uh, I, a lot a lot of my longer course athletes. Uh, had a nice welcome back uh, to swimming today. They're doing 3,200 in honor of their coach's birthday. So there's a lot of unhappy people in my camp today, but um, my exact words, well, it'll be fun. Yeah, go, go do this birthday set for me. So, uh, I, Joe, I, I think you're absolutely right with that, though. There's something, and Craig and I have said it many times in talking to people, I, 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 I can count on one hand how many athletes I've encountered in my short duration of the sport, compared pair of yours, that have done just one triathlon and they would stopped doing it. It's just something to where it's you know, it's it's I forget the old was it Pringles or Doritos or somebody, you know, once you pocket can't stop, you can't have just one, right? And it's just it's so funny how the sport is like that. It's it becomes this almost addictive lifestyle. So not to you know to the extreme, but I think you you nailed it with those two those two reasons. That's very, very good. So that would lead to my question, and and you've been around a sport long enough. If you had to say, and you've been in the sport long enough, if you had to say there was one thing that's a key to longevity, we asked a, a good friend of mine, Mark Miller, that owns Precision Bikes down in Lafayette, Louisiana. He's been, uh, what do we say, Craig, 23 years in the sport, I think? Yeah, 20, yeah. 20 years, 23 years, something like that. Can't remember how many Ironmans, half Ironmans he does. He just does them and do them now and loves the sport, loves the lifestyle. But what would you say your your key to longevity in the sport is?
1: Oh, gosh, there's so many things. Um you know, the first thing, obviously, is what we've been talking about, which is to remind yourself occasionally why you do this. What You know, why did you get involved in triathlon in the first place? You kind of keep yourself grounded by by uh, revisiting that reason from time to time, especially when you find that uh, training is becoming hard or tedious or you're not looking forward to it or, you know, motivation is low sort of things. Um, at those times, you'd remind yourself, why, why did I decide to do this in the first place? What got me into this? Is that still – is that still – True for me, and and most people they find it can it, it's a lo- it's, it's a love story. Basically, triathlon is a love story. People get involved in it because they find they and they fall in love with it. They try it and they're hooked. So just like the Pringles thing you mentioned, they just can't do one. They they do their first triathlon. That maybe all they had in their mind is going to try one triathlon. They try it, and as soon as they cross the finish line, they say, you know what? I could have gone faster. No. I'm going to do this next time. I'm going to train this way, and, and, and therefore I'll get, have a faster race the second time. And that thing just kind of keeps growing like that, even when the athlete starts to slow down after 10, 15 years of doing this, it's still that thing about, I know I can improve if I just make this change. Yeah. And so they're always they're very positive people, always looking for ways to get better at the sport. And I think that's what drives people into the sport and keeps them there once they're there. Yeah. No,
2: that, I I think I would agree, Craig. Would you fall in line with that from a mental aspect?
0: Absolutely. I I think it's critical. I think when you, uh, you know, when I see people that f- kind of fall off the wagon a bit, um, that's one of the first things I go to is w- what's your what's your reason for this? And if you don't have a reason, that could be very problematic very quickly because you, you if you don't have a meaning for what you are doing, you are not going to do it very well or very long. So I totally totally agree. Great.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, uh, Joe, let me ask you this one, because you have enough, you have enough, uh, I guess, books written or enough knowledge that's been put out into cyberspace now that someone could effectively take, you know, your traffic training Bible and coach themselves to, let's say an Ironman, half Ironman, you know, to their own race. When there's that type of knowledge available out there right now, what is, do you think is a, is a compelling reason for an athlete to select a coach? Because what I come across is even with athletes I have now, they will get on, let's just say slow twitch. God forbid they get on slow twitch and they've got 50,000 different answers to one question. Right. And you know, I want to increase my FTP in six weeks. What's the number one workout I should do. You'll get a thousand different answers. And I always say it, you know, there's a thousand different ways to get to the finish line. This is just the way that I I pick and that I you know can lead my athletes. And so, what, what is a reason for an athlete to get a coach when there's so much data and information and, and knowledge just thrown up everywhere?
1: Well, I think that's the main reason why people get a coach is because there is so much information. It's almost overwhelming. It is overwhelming. When I first started doing this back in the 80s, there wasn't any information. We didn't know, we didn't know squat. Uh, basically, uh, I get to get the guys and the women I trained with and we would uh, share ideas. That—that that was all the information there was. There was no Google. You weren't going to go out and Google how to improve your VO two max. That was wasn't a part of it. Wait a minute. Google wasn't around then. Google wasn't around then. No Google Maps.
2: How did you get anywhere in life,
1: Joe? It was a strange world back then. It was very, it was very archaic.
2: How did you not get lost driving to the gas station?
1: Yeah, we didn't. We didn't have. We didn't have anything at all. Well, basically, we just improvised, and we would find out what somebody else was doing. You know, at a race we went to, we would talk to somebody who won our age group and find out what they were doing. You know, in their training, and that—that's the whole thing. That was the way it started, and we began to try all kinds of stuff. We did weird stuff. Uh, I can recall some of the workouts I did were were just were just stupid, but <laughs> at the time we didn't know. We're just, we're just trying things to see what happens, and, right. and over time we began to figure out what works, and from all that. We eventually developed a way of coaching or training, which is what I wrote the Triathlete's Training Bible about. Initially, it was my thoughts on what I what I what I had I learned about about coaching about about training for the sport of triathlon. So that I, that was what I wrote in that book. And I didn't write that book for anybody except me. I just wanted to see if I could explain in a book what my thoughts were. I, I wasn't trying to write for anybody. Aren't yeah, trying I, to sell it. <laughs> I pretty my ideas on paper. And I had no idea the book would ever sell more than a couple hundred copies. That would be the end of it. But I, that was not the goal. The goal for me was to explain to myself what I thought I'd do, be able to defend it. And because I've been, I'd have been, spent the last, uh, what, almost 15 years studying, churning for triathlon, and so I was ready to write a book about it at that point. And, and, but lo and behold, uh, it's changed to this day. It's now, we're now... 20 years after that first book almost 20 years after that book and it's changed significantly since i wrote the book a lot it's not the same at all anymore it's changed dramatically dramatic right, so right. The, it's um uh, it, it's an ongoing sort of thing and even though we have all that so now people are overwhelmed with information and so they need a coach because they don't even know where to where to start where do i start as the filter there's too much to know anymore
0: yeah that's true that's yeah. well what i was going to say is um So I'm working on my PhD, so we're always doing research. And it's funny how long facts stay facts. You know, we talk about it being factual. It's factual right now, here's the research. And only about three or four or five years later, something else gets uncovered. And the next thing you know, <laughs> that's no longer the fact. And now there's a new fact. There's a new scientific fact. So um, it really has all you know knowledge in general. And that's what we want. We want to expound upon the last research and, and continue to grow and develop and hone in those thoughts and those beliefs about, uh, you know, for, especially from science where it's really supposed to be fact-based and, and evidence and proven, um, it's really it, – it's – in how things evolve so quickly.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I shy away from using two words whenever I write. One is fact and the other is proof. Uh, Because as soon as you say that, it's not too far down the road you're going to be proven incorrect. And that person (laughs) who just proved you incorrect will eventually be proven incorrect. Also, the world is always changing. That's one problem I run into with my books is people get somewhat angry because they read on my blog something that contradicts something I said in, in my book. Or a book, and uh, they'll write me or or see me in some place and, and mention that uh, there's something wrong with my blog or with the book which thing saying, is it? And it's people are unwilling I think, to accept change. And I, I think pass. I think
2: Craig dropped out, but uh, Joe, I think uh, you're absolutely right, and that's that's the beauty of it, though, is because that to me from my from my point of view, that is that is development, that is growth, and and anytime you're growing, you're obviously going to learn. And Craig and I said this before: is that you know. Coaches are going to make mistakes because what I believe today and you even kind of said it a minute ago, what I believe today and the way that I train today may be something a year from now that I'm like, well, yeah, but, you know, I've, I've grown into this. You know, I now I'm doing this. I believe this. And so I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Um, and, and that there is and there's a ton of information out there. It's overwhelming. I remember when I first got into sport, it was like, oh, my God, where do I start? You know, well who knows, you know, where do you start? And, and for someone who doesn't have a background, an in-depth background in any of the three disciplines, it can be really overwhelming because you don't have something to fall back at your comfort zone. You know, I'm not a, I didn't grow up swimming, so I can fall back to swimming when my running bike are sucking, right? That's kind of the the way that people do it. So, um, a very, very, very good answer to that. I do have a a listener question, Joe. Are you ready for a pretty good listener question? Let's try it. All right, so this this question comes in. Uh, the question is, who is your current favorite pro male and female triathlete? This question, this question may or may not come from a professional friend of mine, but I
1: was told. You know, I really don't. Uh, I don't try to keep up with the pros at all. I know it may sound like I'm, I'm outside the realm of the sport, but I really don't try to keep up with the pros at all. So I don't. Even, I have no idea. I'll go to the to Ironman. I'll find out Ironman morning, Ironman Hawaii. I'll find out that morning who's racing. I really don't I really don't follow the, the pros. I don't really know what they're doing. My favorite pro right now is Mark Allen. I was
2: going to say, you got to throw out a legend, then. in that case.
1: If <laughs> I had to talk to somebody about the sport, he'd be the guy I'd ask because he's kind of at the birth of it and, and defined it to a level that uh, may or may not have actually been achieved since then. So he's he's he stands right up at the very top. Christy Wellington, you know people like that. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like way behind the times here in terms of what's going on with the athletes. What I find is is that is that as with any sport, there's a there's a churn that goes on with professional athletes. Yes, yes. Very difficult to keep up with what's going on with all the athletes. And my focus really is not on the ath on, on pro athletes. My focus is on how athletes should train. And so right. I I my time that I have for the sport goes into uh, all the stuff along that line, especially reading science and talking with our coaches and reading books and so forth about about training and science and sport from, from that perspective. So, but I'm afraid I'm not very to ask about the athlete. You know, if all
2: else fails, just say mark out. That, that's always <laughs> that's always nobody can argue with you. That's the beauty of that. It doesn't matter if that's been many years ago. Nobody can argue with that. So, <laughs> that was that was probably the best sidestep of a question I've ever seen. Well played, Joe. Well played. <laughs> So, um, you know, this is the time of year where a lot of athletes are, are throwing that word around base training. You know, we're 16, 20 weeks out from, from some of the bigger long course races or the early season North American uh, long course racing. Um, is, there a, is there a time of year that's better than another from your experience to, to truly do base training? Or is base training something that kind of goes on all the time? Just that there's there's more specificity as you get closer to events. What's your what's your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, well, it, it really uh, one of the key elements here is when we start using words like base and so forth, is what that can mean to somebody. Um, it's kind of taken on a, a meaning which is not really intended in periodization, I'm afraid that uh, the word base we've come to think of meaning high volume, low intensity. And it doesn't have to be that way. When you're for an Ironman, in fact, uh, it probably it should probably be quite a bit of high intensity going on in what we typically call the base grade. And intensity may not be quite as high, or the duration may not be quite as high for the workouts. So, so it's kind of a it's kind of a, a bugaboo to try to talk about a topic like base churning, uh, because it really depends on what you're churning for. If you're churning for um, a sprint distance triathlon, for example, base training probably should be high volume. And later on, you should be doing lots and lots of high intensities as you get closer to the race. And just the opposite for, for let's say, Ironman distance. I mean, you know, intermediate distances, you know, half Ironman, even Olympic distances are somewhere between those two extremes. But it's, it's, uh, the, the bottom line is, when I talk about prioritization more to athletes, the bottom line I, I, I talk about is that the closer you get to the race, the more like the race training should become. The workouts need to become like the race as you get into the last several weeks before the race. When you're not in those last several weeks before the race, training needs to be much more general. What does general mean? It means doing things that are not specific to the sport. Um, If you're not going to ever be doing aerobic capacity efforts during an an Ironman distance triathlon, then that's general training and probably is better off being done in the base period than it is in the build period because it's not like the race. Interesting. so if you, if you just if athletes just keep that 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 idea in mind that the closer you get to the race the more like the race the workout should become and therefore the farther away from the race the less like the race the workout should be they'll actually be better off in terms of trying to think their way through periodization
2: wow interesting that was a hell of an answer <laughs> that was incredible thank you for that that's 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 and you 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 explained it in such terms so that idiots like myself and Greg can, can pick up on it. So that's very, very good. Um, and, and in those terms, um, I find from, from my, my experience, I find that athletes really struggle with recovery. They struggle with going easy. And that was one of the things, uh, Chris McDonald's a very good friend of mine. We're on the ride. I tell the story Probably every third or fourth podcast, but it's a very profound lesson for me. I'm out. I'm riding with multiple Ironman champion, and we're riding 14 miles an hour. And this has been probably four or five years ago. And I'm like, dude, come on, let's let's ride. And he's like, no, it's and his exact words in his Australian accent is it's recovery day, mate. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you're a pro. Why are you riding 14 miles an hour? And it, then it hit me. We start talking about it, and do you think? Joe, in your opinion and your experience, do you think that it is harder mentally or physically for athletes to do the active recovery type of stuff? The stuff that isn't the, you know, isn't the sexy workout that you can PR that you're going to take a Strava segment on, you know, do you think that's a mental thing where they really just have to commit to doing that? Or do you think it's more of a physical, it just feels weird to go that slow per se?
1: Yeah, I think it's more mental. I, I, I when I talk with athletes about topic of rest and recovery and its importance, Um, they don't really fully grasp that the meaning of what I'm talking about with them. It's hard to get their attention about about how valuable recovery is. So what I tell them typically to try to get their attention is that it's, you know, that all all workouts do is they create the potential for fitness. They don't create fitness. They create the potential for fitness Mm. during rest, during recovery that you realize the gains that the potential is realized and you become fit. So if you never really give yourself a chance to get to reap the benefits by recovering, resting, uh, then you're never going to get get as high as you possibly could get otherwise. So so athletes just they, they think what they have to do every time is go out and do a hard workout all the time. This brings us to the more the more recent research. Well, actually this has been going on now for about something like about, I suppose 14 years or so. It talks about this polarized idea of training that workouts should be either high intensity or low intensity and in fact the research shows that, that that's what the best athletes have done over the last several decades is they've trained with lots of low volume i mean low intensity and a little bit of high intensity and not much in between those two extremes so it's something which has come to be called like an 80 20 rule. 80% is below the aerobic threshold, which is what most people consider to be a recovery workout. So most is below the, the uh, aerobic threshold. And a small portion is above the anaerobic threshold, or lactate threshold, the very, very high intensity um, that, is, that really pushes you to the limits. So um, that's, uh, that's kind of where we are right now. And I think that's one thing that athletes need to come to, to understand and, and to really apply to their own training.
2: Excellent, excellent. There were just a side note: is is that Miss Freel in a cycling jersey? Yes, it is. I just want to say hello. I, lo- I love the jersey. I saw her walk in a jersey. I'm like, ah, that's awesome. Just I guess you guys <laughs> <laughs> did. Uh, did did she drop you on your ride today?
1: She rode all. She actually got a bike fit today, which is a topic I always have my I talk to my athletes about. She just got a-, a bike fit done. She just got back from that.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I worked for uh, John Cobb for two years, so <laughs> I can understand. I can understand the uh, and appreciate the uh, the art of a good bike fit. I mean, that's unfortunately that is in an often uh, misunderstood portion, especially my age group athletes, is how important that is. Yeah, so, I uh, can definitely definitely appreciate that. Um, so, who and this is just a random off the wall question. It just kind of popped into my head. You know, you you have laid in so much groundwork and so many principles over the years, and and really essentially use yourself to test them and others, and and you know, put all these things in place. And are kind of the the um, the cutting edge, uh, and have been for years of of especially uh, heart rate training. Who who is you travel the world, and talk to all these coaches. Who is the next Joe Friel? Like who is really digging in and putting in the time and effort to continue to develop the sport and develop the the science behind it? Are there are there people? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, Andy and, and Hunter do a lot of great work, but who who's kind of the young up and coming that's kind of gonna really be somebody that we're going to hear a lot of in the next five, ten years.
1: Well, there's, there are, there are several people like that. One, and if you one, don't mention me, it's okay. <laughs> one that stands out for me right now is, is one of my, uh, one of my coaches, one of my assistant coaches, his name is Jim Vance. Yeah. He and I wrote a, uh, a book together a couple of years ago called triathlon science or actually it's actually several, several contributors. Um uh, and I chose Jim to be involved in that project with me because, uh, number one, he's just a very sharp guy uh, who I've learned a lot from over the years. Um, he's a former pro triathlete who I coached for the last uh, couple of years of his of his racing career, and he turned out to be an excellent coach. Very bright, uh, very insightful. Understands the science behind it. Understands the what what athletes need to do from a factual from a uh, from a uh, from from the point of view of what people can do in their lives, his lifestyle issues, he understands all this and is able to apply it with, with athletes. So he wrote that we wrote did that book together, and now he's writing a, a book by himself, um, which will be out actually fairly soon, I think. It's going to be about the uh, the technology of science of, of triathlon, okay. so, you know, power meters and GPS devices and. And all that kind of stuff that's coming out soon. And then he's got another book he's working on right now, which I think I can talk about, uh, which is uh, it's going to have to do with power of running, uh, yep. running power meters essentially. So he's writing a book on that right now but how to use power in running. So Jim is very very sharp, um, excellent coach, knows his stuff, and he's one of the people I would say is really to watch in the coming years. But but there there are many many others I could talk about also. He's just the one that's probably closest to me right now.
2: Okay, good, good. Uh, uh, we, I would let you do your top 3,000 coaches. I'm sure I lie in there somewhere, but we really don't have time for that in this podcast. So we'll just assume that I'm on that list somewhere, right, Joe? You're
1: <laughs> you very high.
2: <laughs> uh, you're such a sweet guy. So uh, I'll, I will return the check you're going to send to me for the plug at the beginning and, and just you. keep that. We'll call it even. <laughs> uh, no, I, I recognize Jim's name from the Triathlon Science. I love that book. It's a really good book. I look forward to seeing his work coming out. Um, I just, I, 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 love the science of it myself. And so I'm always looking, I mean, I was telling my wife the other day, I've got a, you know, a, a bookshelf full of books and sometimes I'll pick them up and just thumb through them and find a note here or there, or, you know, want to reference something. And so to see people, I guess, continue to carry that torch forward, not that you put the torch down, but to continue, continue to carry it forward. Um, have you, have you read any of, uh, have you read Matt new, uh, Matt Fitzgerald's new book? The, uh, how was it? How bad do you want it? It talks about the art of the mental. What were your, what are your, what are your thoughts on the impact of, and that's kind of what Craig and I focus on, but the impact or the power of the mind in regards to what it can do to a performance standpoint, or even a, even a heart rate standpoint.
1: Yeah. I'm actually in the process of reading that book right now. Um, I have a hard time finding time to read. It seems like so. Uh, and Matt is one of my favorite authors. I've, I've probably read everything he's written, which is a lot of books. He's a very sharp guy, uh, and I always value his opinion. Um, but, yeah, it, the mental side is probably – I'm not known for the mental side of training. That's, I'm more of a physiology sort of guy rather than a psychology sort of guy. But I, I don't by any means doubt the value of the mental side. In fact, the more stuff I see anymore, the more those two things are tied together. It's really hard to separate the two. You talk about fatigue, for example, and Tim Noakes has been – writing and talking about stuff that has to do with how the two actually fit together. It's not just burning out of glycogen that's a problem. It's not just a physical phenomenon, it's occurring with fatigue. It's actually a mental ph- phenomenon, uh, which he calls central fatigue. Um, the mind is basically fatigued, not, not the body. And so, and so it's a very complex topic in some ways, be, but it's not as clear-cut as it used to be. It used to be two entirely separate things. We talked about mental versus psychological or psychological versus physical. Any more of they're becoming melded into one thing. There's there's more and more crossover between these things. And I think that's along the lines of what Matt is writing about in his, in his uh, most recent book is well, How Bad Do You Want It? It's kind of actually the same sort of thing. It's kind of talking about the overlap between the two areas. And I suspect the farther down the road, the road we get with this topic, the more overlap we'll find between the, the physical and the and the psychological when it comes to performance and training.
2: Excellent. And that's, that's something that Craig and I, we, we both worked, and, and we find that athletes that we work with we work uh, with together on, um, typically a lot of times we're able to unlock their mind, and, and they've already got the physical you know, ability or, or whatever it ends up being, but we can we can help to kind of free up whatever fears or negative negative things they have going on their mind, and all of a sudden they're able to perform, you know, and and able to release and, and let go. So, I uh, appreciate your feedback. I, I love all of Matt's work as well. I think he's a he's an excellent author, and and he's one of those guys like yourself, you know, like like you said, he, anytime he writes something, I'm going to read it because it's like okay, he's he's proven over the years that his opinions aren't you know way out in left field and and over the top. It's like oh, oh that's a good point, yeah, you know. So. Um, Greg, did you have any thoughts? I've kind of taken this over. I get, I get
0: very <laughs> it's, it's excited okay. very easily. No, so. Well, I mean, as he was talking about with fatigue, I mean, that's uh, – I try to – I use a bit more of a um, layman's terms and, and talk about governors. You know, we uh, we have a – our, our minds have a governor that shuts us down from – you know, when we get hit in the head, we may become unconscious our body wants to slow everything down and kind of control the situation. But then we also have a governor that's mental. That's that guy on your shoulder saying, hey, you're good now. You, you don't you're good. You can slow down. You probably should stop now. And that guy is the one that you that gets you to stop when you really don't have when, when there's far more capacity above that specific governor to the one where you'd actually mentally or physically shut down. And it's, it's learning where that is because if, if you have the potential of a hundred percent, that guy may be at 80 and, you know, at 95 or 98, that's when you may physically shut down and you've got this extra performance that's there that we don't, we don't know that's there because we keep listening to our, our thoughts, our self-talk or, um, you know, whatever we're focusing on. We, we hear that and we, we begin to believe it because, well, it's that's what we're talking to ourselves about. Next thing you know, we give in, we slow down or we just, you know, unfortunately, it sometimes we quit. And that's 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 important. That's huge to me anyway.
1: Agreed. Uh, there, the mental side is, is something that uh, most every athlete, well, every athlete could, could benefit from becoming more mentally uh, fit, if you will. Sure. Uh, I think that's that's a very important point you're making.
2: Yeah, I, I would, I would absolutely agree, and that that was uh, the, the principles of my coaching business was founded on the power of the mind, and um, you know, obviously, obviously, there's much more to it, but I'm I'm a firm believer, and I, I say this all the time that uh, you know, I think any coach, I use that term generally, um, can teach you to swim, bike, and run, you know, but it's it's believing you can swim, bike, and run, it's thinking that you can swim, bike, and run, it's it's actually becoming, and the word that he used was, used was mentally fit. I love that. Because it is, and not every coach, not another not fault of their own, but not every coach possesses that capacity to, to get you there. And so um, I think that that's a, you made some, both of you made some very, very good points with that. Um, Joe, so I guess in kind of wrapping this up, you know, I know, I know you're in Scottsdale now and you got some trips trip coming up soon. Ken, are your, are your um, events and speaking engagements, are they open to any coaches? Are they private events? Like if someone wanted to come and learn from you, how would someone get in touch with Joe Friel to pick
1: his brain? Um, most of the presentations I do are on behalf of Training Peaks. Okay. Um, returning coaches. Um, and so uh, I do – I think we did something like six or seven of them last year. And we do them um, actually um, – Around the world most are done in the united states but we're going for example we're doing one in portugal here uh, next month and we'll be back in the uk and australia and perhaps other places also outside the u.s but certainly in the u.s and so uh just keeping tabs on what's going on with training peaks you'll find out about those and they're they're great sessions it's not just me we have we have um, other speakers too who are talking about lots of things that have to do with coaches being becoming better coaches And, and I try to relay what I know about some of this, but you know we've got other coaches who're giving their opinions and co- topics also. So it's a They're they're great uh, learning experiences for coaches. I think they're called they're called uh, Turning Peaks Universities.
2: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We have two uh, of 101 and 201, and uh, I just I would, you can Google those and find out where the next ones are going to be taking place.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I plan to attend one of those. Like I said, I went to the the coach summit where we met in, and- it's one of those things. Is where anytime as a coach, I can learn something from other coaches. Whether it's um, you know uh, a buddy of mine, Boris Robinson, or at Austin, I think you'd probably know Boris. Boris been around for
1: yeah, for yeah. years,
2: and uh, you know, just getting to sit and chat with them, just pick their brain. Hey, man, how do we do this? Well, what do you what do you do in this situation? Where'd you learn this? And You just take you know bits and pieces. And uh, two weeks ago, I sat down and we did a a video chat. I had one of my coaches in house. We had two assistants, one in house, and then one was remote. And we did this, and I literally had a whiteboard pulled up. And we went over, you know, uh, aerobic threshold training. We set, you know, talked about testing protocols and essentially kind of passed off to them what I know. Because in the end of the day, the better I can make them, the more successful they are as coaches, the better the athletes are going to be, the more success they're going to have and so on and so forth. And so um, I, I plan to, if they have another Training Peaks coach or something, I plan to be there for sure and uh, sure. hopefully get to attend one of the Training Peaks universities. Because I believe, I believe you take bits and pieces from everywhere and kind of formulate your own little – uh, your own little layout. So uh, I, I appreciate all your work with that. I look forward to, to seeing some of those events.
0: Uh, Craig, did you
2: have any, any final thoughts for Joe?
0: No, I didn't. I, I you know um, I know you're a busy guy and uh, I want to personally thank you for being on this podcast. It, it means the world to both of us to continue to be able to share phenomenal quality uh, material. That's not always available. Um, it is, but sometimes you have to kind of wade through. So for us to be able to um, provide this with you on here is uh,
1: much appreciated. Thank you also. Enjoyed, enjoyed doing it, Craig. Thank you. Yes. And, and
2: also, Joe, um, Craig is not a triathlete, which is a, a big problem. I have, me, me <laughs> have issues with that. He's not a triathlete. <laughs> uh, He's crazy. Does, hang on, hang on. He does have a bike. It's a nice bike. He has a set of rollers, which he's only ever shown me. He's been on one time, which I don't know how someone's not a athlete has rollers and has rollers anyway to begin with. But he he told me, and so we're going to have to do a PhD to Ironman plan for him. He promised me because he came to Ironman Texas last year, did a little mental chat with some athletes before, and then was on the race course. And you know, you know the the passion and the the fire that burns when you spectate at an Ironman. It's like if that person could be out there doing it, wow! You know, or that person's still going, holy cow! You know, this is impressive. So he told me when he finishes PhD in what, Craig? Three and a half years?
0: Three, about three years, yeah.
2: Yeah, about three years, he's going to do an Ironman. So, uh, Joe, if you had to give advice to Craig right this second, <laughs> with your professional opinion, what would it be to get him ready for this Ironman in three years? Um, well, don't do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that's a great idea. I, I would highly support him doing an Ironman in three years. Uh, don't uh, you got to start training someplace? You have got to start doing some sprint distance and some Olympic distance and work your way up. That'd be the first, first thing to do is do some shorter distance racing and train for those before you get into an Ironman. Joe, so let's just turn him loose on it though. It's it's all right,
2: right? <laughs> he I mean, just wants
0: to kill me. That's what he wants.
2: <laughs> well, it's so funny. I say that kind of in jest because I get so many athletes who come to me and they'll do it. They just uh, do a sprint distance in the fall and they're like, "All right, you know, you, you think i be here for an Ironman next year? No. no, you wouldn't be." In fact, you wouldn't be ready for the next three years. Like, what's what's the rush? And that's the. And when I worked for John uh, Cobb, that's what there was some market research, and he'd always read this stuff. And and you know, in his own area, he's definitely an innovator, and he'd read it. You know, we figured out that the average life expectancy of an of an athlete in, in the sport of triathlon is three to four years. You know, you get in, you do a couple races, you you move up, you move up, you probably deal with injuries somewhere along the way. You do your Ironman, Man, then you're gone, and then you become like a CrossFitter skydive or something, right? Whatever you do after track. But, um, and so we joke about it, but it is really a problem. People hop in and they go, go straight full bore. Oh, wow. Yeah, let's go do this. And, and they do it and they can get through it. I'm of the thought process with any decent amount of training and a consistent, uh, training build. Anybody with ex- a little bit of experience can, can finish an Ironman. Um, and, and that's just, because I really suffered through my first one, and I know that I did decent. You can really, it, but you have to commit to it. So, in uh, in about three years, Craig will either drown or he will finish an Ironman. So I don't uh, drown. I don't drown. He's a, no, he's a he's a big guy. He likes to, he likes to lift those weights and flip tires and oh, you know all that stuff. So uh, he's swimming is going to be be fun for him. So. Uh, Craig, you want to do question time real quick, or we don't have time for it?
0: Uh, we can. Do you, Joe, you got some more time? You got a couple of minutes? Yeah,
2: it's just it's just a quick couple of minutes. It's just something we try to do every time. It's it's we try to keep it light and fun. And, and to be honest with you, I only do it because we've got a really cool jingle that leads into it. Um, so uh, basically, it's just going to be three three random questions that which years ago uh, you would not be able to find this information because. You didn't have the internet, so we utilize the internet for what it's good for, and that's finding, finding information. So, great to pull up some questions and we'll uh, we'll fire them off. All
0: right, these um, all right, it's um, you know, it's question time.
2: <laughs> we got right.
0: so what is let's see. What cheers you up? What cheers you up? Something simple.
1: I'm sorry, I was a question.
0: Joe, so what cheers you up? If you're down, if you're a little bit down, what do you do to cheer up?
1: What what, what cheers man? I'm hitting golf balls.
0: Ah, hey.
2: That's solid. (laughs) That is solid.
0: Yeah. Let me think, what? Mine be. That, Jeremy, I think that probably frustrates you, or because you can't seem to hit them very good.
2: Oh, I re- if I recall, this back when I came to town and, and put uh, up the uh, the seventy six on you. Do we to remember that? Or with your uh, um, No, I think for me it's it's uh, just being outdoors, hiking, sitting outside, a golf, maybe in there somewhere, fishing, just just that kind of stuff. Go
1: yeah,
0: um, you know, I. Joe, you don't know. I have an eight-year-old daughter, and she is really the light of my life. So um, it, it doesn't matter how bad your day can be. If you see the smile on your daughter's face, it's really hard not to cheer up. It's really hard to stay in a bad mood. It it nips it pretty quick.
2: And, and Joe, uh, Dirk is your son, correct? Yes, that's true. And he is, he is the CEO, COO of Training Peaks?
1: Yeah, he's he's the president
2: of training. President, there you go. So so so, Greg, he he can relate because his his son's very successful with training peaks. So
0: there you go, there you go. Um, these are really random. You ever been in a car accident?
1: Yeah, I have. Um, I was. The courts will and discuss it. <laughs> yeah, that was a scary <laughs> one. No, back in about 90, 92 or ninety three, I s tail ended at a, at a stoplight. I was stopped behind a, uh, a cement truck, and a car a van didn't hit the brakes and just plowed into me probably at 30 miles an hour, drove me underneath the cement truck, and I could see these big six-inch I-beams that supported the bucket coming right at me, and of course my seat broke, and so I fell backwards, and the six-inch I-beam went right at the top of my head. Oh, wow. Uh, opened the door stepped out, and all my head was a scratch on my shin. Uh, that was very scary. Changed a lot of things in my life.
0: Wow,
1: man, Craig, Greg. We why do I always have to follow the awesome stuff? <laughs>
0: I don't know. know. Wow, I,
2: that that that's crazy. I'm obviously, glad you walked away from it. But man, it's one of those things where you're like, mm-hmm. all, right, all right, something's gonna change here. Something something has to change. Yeah.
1: Thanks,
2: dude. Um. I did. I was going too fast on a country road. It was raining, and I slid into a tree and my, uh, hit my nose right on the steering wheel. And I ended up with a, a deviated septum and a really cool, like, face brace for a few a few weeks after that. So, Craig, we know Craig has been in this. Craig loves. Uh, uh, Craig loves motorcycles.
0: Yeah, and that's where I have to go to. I was actually rear ended. I was in Tennessee. I was headed towards a place called deals gap. It's like 113 miles and or 113 curves and nine miles or something like that. I can't even remember. It's been so long ago, but I was headed there and I, I missed a turn. I went to slow down when I did a guy behind me who was arguing with his wife actually rear ended me and he was doing about 60. I was doing about five and he drug me about halfway down the road, probably about a hundred yards. Uh, thankfully full leathers and a helmet. Uh, I had a light concussion and a, uh, a cut to my leg, but, Overall, I was actually um, I survived. I was pretty thankful. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. Crazy, yeah. crazy. All right, Craig, last one. Okay, what is it that you've always wanted that you've never received? Is there something that you've wanted in your life or wanted to? Let's just say this: if there's something in your life you've ever wanted to do that you yet have done, what is it, and do you that's, think you that's will accomplish a, it? That's
2: a really good question.
1: Right. <laughs> I, my wife tells me I'm a hard person to buy Christmas presents for because I've already if I want something I just go out and get it. And uh, it's the same thing with my life. If I've wanted something in my life, I just do it. I don't wish I could do it. I just do it. So (laughs) I love it. Right. (laughs) I really want to do beyond the normal stuff. You know, a grandparent and parent, all that kind of stuff. That's the fun of my life. Much as you mentioned with your daughter. So those things are very fun for me to spend time with my with my family. But beyond that, there really isn't anything that I'm really wanting to do that I haven't already done. Well,
2: well have, have you have you shot your age on the golf course yet, Joe? Because I think that that should be an aspiration.
1: Uh, that would be that would be a huge challenge, but uh, I, I I suspect that's not going to happen unless I get unless I play for a long, long time and not get any worse. <laughs> and maybe I've got a chance. But uh, I suspect it's not going to happen. So don't even to think about it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I figured I would throw that out there. You're you're entering that window of opportunity for that, you know. That it's not really outside the realm. It just depends on how much you get to play. Which I assume with your travel, you may not get to play much. But uh, uh, so yeah, you, you should you should work on making that happen, Joe. That that should be your resolution for this year: shooting <laughs> your age on the golf course. So, <laughs> all right, Jeremy. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, it, I don't know. One of my one of my childhood dreams actually came to your day. I got to meet an astronaut. You know, I kind of told you guys about it before. Um, so it's, this has been a really, really cool day for me, but, um, I think that, that if I had the opportunity, um, I think it would be to go back in time, you know, more than anything. I, obviously you can't do that. It's kind of, kind of, uh, hypothetical, but you know, I, I'd like to go back and talk to my grandfather and, and understand kind of what he went through, what he did in life. Uh, Korean war veteran, <clears throat> he had two proper hearts and, you know, he worked at Much like you said, your father, he worked at the, the Ford factory for, I think 34, 35 years, a whole different lifestyle, a whole different thought process than anything we have today. But I think there's a lot for me. There's a lot to be taken away you'd be applied to my life as far as determination, hard work, that honestly is lacking in the world that we live in now. Um, a lot of that instant gratification. You know, we no longer make investments, and that's something that's a whole different topic. Is is how much of a uh, how much of an investment sport that endurance sports are, and Nowadays, and that's why I, I use the example of people wanting to go from sprint to Ironman is because it's we want it here and now, and, and I really want to go back in time to where, where it used to be before even I was around. Um, so I would want to slow things down a little bit. Yeah. If that if even that didn't really answer the question. No, that's rant, good. That's, good. Is, we'll, that's we'll, what we'll, I do. We'll consider, you, we'll <laughs> consider
0: you complete. <laughs> uh, the one thing that I've always wanted to do ever since I was a child is fly. I've always wanted to be a pilot. And it doesn't mean that I wanted to be a commercial pilot. I just wanted to be able to fly. And uh, while I am working towards it, I actually have about 14, 13 <sighs> or 14 hours on the books towards about 40 that I need for my, um, my private pilot's license. Uh, I had to pull off because school has just become so intense. I just don't have the time to prov- to provide quality effort towards both of those at the same time. But soon enough, uh, I will get that pilot's license, and I will fly. That's what I've always wanted to do. Good for you.
2: Yeah. I like it. I like it. Right. Joe, how, how can we reach you? How can people get in touch with you? Um, you know, Is it smoke signals, handwritten letters? Is it the World Wide Web? What's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you if they wanted to, to reach out and kind of follow what you're doing and – uh, I saw your Facebook. I, I friended you on Facebook probably three years ago, and you were at 3,000. Um, there hadn't been a post since 2014 on there, so I'm pretty sure that's, <laughs> that's gone. But uh, how can people reach you?
1: Yeah, I, I don't do Facebook. I used to do it, but I, I finally discovered I couldn't do everything I wanted to do, so that I had to go. Something had to go, it so was Facebook. Uh, I do Twitter. I'm on Twitter daily, uh, posting things that I'm basically thinking about in my uh, – in my own training, or in coaching athletes, or in books I'm writing, or whatever it may be, so I post things from time to time, actually daily, on Twitter, and I've got a blog, JoeFreelsBlog.com, that uh, is an easy way for people to contact me. You can you can post either an email to me, or you can blog me. You know, quick attach a comment to one of my things you read, and and I'll respond to it. I respond to uh, most everything that's sent to me um occasionally some people I'll, I'll be asked a question on twitter sometimes and there's absolutely no way you can answer 140 characters so i don't even try sometimes <laughs> um so anyway I, probably those are two, the two best ways
0: did yeah. y'all hear I, I just heard this the other day they're going to change that up to i don't know up teen number of characters but i heard they're changing twitter to be more than 140 characters
1: yeah i've heard 10,000 characters is what ah. the ceo was saying but that seems to me to be that's more like for writing small books and I find it hard to believe you're going to have. I, I don't. I'll probably cut way back on Twitter if that's the case.
0: I'm not no, reading no, 10,000 characters. No. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. <laughs> no. No. Uh, okay. Well, you want to take us out? Yeah. Joe, greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. We know it's a, uh, It's much value to us and we know it's much value to our, our listeners. But if you want to get a hold of us, performance on demand podcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also find us at Podcast Bay, Podcast Attic, and all the other eight hundred podcast applications. Um, if you want to get a hold of Jeremy over there at Mondrate Multisport.com, me over at UDash Discover.com, we'd love to hear from you. Please let us know your comments, questions, or even concerns. If you don't like it, we want to know that too. So thanks for everyone for listening to us and have a great evening. Take care. Later.